Good morning, friends. What does your heart say? Well, my text this morning it comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I'm just kind of curious. What if your prayers were published? I mean, that's kind of a fascinating and scary thought, isn't it? What if every prayer you prayed, every word, you know, word for word, somehow ended up on the Internet so that anyone anywhere could read them? Would your prayers be worth reading if they were published, and would they qualify for the pages of Holy Scripture, or would they be a better fit for, oh, the National Enquirer? If prayer is the language of the heart, what is your heart saying? I've often told people that I only know of two reliable ways to learn how to pray. One, you can learn to pray by listening to those who know how to pray. I've often found strength from my own heart simply by sitting in a prayer group or listening to the prayers of other people. I mean, sometimes when I'm distracted or worried or just plain simple worn out, listening to other people pray slowly warms my own heart and puts me on praying ground. And second, you can learn to pray by studying the great prayers of the Bible. If we want the Lord to teach us to pray, this is a good place to start. After all, prayer is the thermometer of the soul. If you want to know what a man believes, do not tell me what he says, tell me what he prays. A man can say many things, but when he prays, his heart is fully revealed. With that in mind, let's turn to the prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. The heart of the prayer comes at the uh, end of verse 17, where Paul prays that you may know him better. That's it. This is the whole prayer right there. Paul is praying that the Ephesians might know God better. This means that he is writing and praying for believers who already have some knowledge of God. His central prayer is, O Lord, I pray that these folks who already know you might come to a new and deeper knowledge of who you really are. Now, the Greek language contains a number of different words that might be translated as know. This particular verse contains a verb that means to know deeply, personally, intimately. Now, for example, I know our president. I know who he is, what he looks like. If you show me his picture, I'll say, yeah, that's the president. But I don't know him personally, and he doesn't know me from Adam's house cat. But I can also say I know my wife. I mean, that's an entirely different kind of knowing. It's a knowledge that's deeper, personal, or intimate. It's the kind of knowledge Paul is praying for. Now, if you know Ephesians at all, you know that the first part of chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, is kind of a doxology of praise to God. The doxology is followed by this long prayer that they may know God better. I mean, think of it this way. First, Paul puts the truth out. Then he prays the truth in. In verse 3, he says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. So then the prayer is not, Lord, give us new blessings, but help us to realize the blessings we already have. It's not give us new truth, but help us experience the truth that we already know. I mean, spiritual truth can be academic and cold and pretty formal. So he's praying, Lord, turn them on to the truth, Lord. They know you. Now make them excited about knowing you. Well, let's start with this request to know him better. Now, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's verse 17. Well, to illustrate that, a couple of months back, I received an email from a friend who shared uh, what he called the three levels of knowing God. He wrote, first, there's the level of experience. 
I mean, all of us who know the Lord have some experiences with him that we can use to help others. But you see, second, there's this level of knowledge. This comes from going to church, listening to sermons, reading the Bible, uh, good books, going to a Christian college, seminary. I mean, most people consider knowledge a higher level of the spiritual life. Now, this guy's a little bit like I I am in, in the fact that he said, this is a level I tried to work from, but it didn't seem a- a- adequate. And that's, he, that's why he added, there's a third level, which I'm going to call the level of wisdom. And he said, this level comes only by prayer. And then he offered this insight about a level three relationship with God. He, he, he wrote, we begin to see things through God's eyes and less through our eyes. Peace only comes from this level. It's not measurable, explainable, nor understandable. Levels one and two are not prerequisites. I see prayer lifting the illiterate to great levels of peace and wisdom where certain, you know, smart people may feel empty. But our prayers become less gimme and more help me see what you want me to learn through this to deepen my relationship with you. See, friends, this is the burden of Paul's prayer, a level three relationship with God that does not depend on knowledge or experience, but comes through wisdom as we seek the Lord. I mean, any of us can have that sort of relationship if we want it and are willing to pay the price. Well, second, let's look at what this means. It says, the eyes of your heart flooded with light. Verse 18, he says, pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, that's the heart of the prayer. It's also the only time this phrase, the eyes of your heart, appears in the entire New Testament. And that means that this is a significant truth that demands our attention. The heart has eyes. Did you know that? When Paul speaks of your heart, he's not referring to the organ in your chest that pumps blood through your body. The term heart refers to what we might call the real you, the place inside where the decisions of life are made. The heart is the place where you decide what values you will live by and what direction you'll go and how you're going to live your life each day. Every important decision you make is made by your heart. And your heart has eyes that can be opened or shut. When the eyes of your heart are closed to the light of God, you stumble kind of blindly through life, making one dumb choice after another. You fall into sinful patterns, you break God's laws, you end up driving into the ditch, you make the same dumb mistakes over and over, and you enter one dead-end relationship after another. Now, why is that? It's because the eyes of your heart are shut and you lack moral vision. The light of God is shut out of your life. That means you can you can see and be blind at the same time. You can have 20-20 eye vision, but the eyes of your heart can be blind to the light of God. There are actually people like that in the world. Physically, they can see, but spiritually, they're totally blind. I think we've got great illustrations of that as we watch the news these days. But I think a lot of Christians live like that as well. They know God, but their eyes are so filled with the things of the world that they're they're blind to the truth. Now, let me give you an illustration here. Uh, let's suppose we have a Christian young man who's been raised in a Christian home, been going to church for years, you know, Sunday school, vacation Bible school, kids ministry, youth group, you know. And now he decides to go off to college, and at last he's on his own. And there he meets a girl, they start dating, and soon they are sleeping together. Now, when his parents hear this, they're upset they're worried and they wonder what to do and so they argue and they plead and threaten and who knows they quote scripture but all to no avail but now so what's the problem here 
It's precisely this, the eyes of the heart are shut to the truth of God, and until those eyes are open, all the yelling in the world will not make much difference. But at this point, we encounter a most liberating truth from our text. Paul prayed for the Ephesians that the eyes of your heart might be opened. Now, one translation says that the eyes of your heart might be flooded with light. See, opening blind eyes is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. He and he alone can do it, but he can do it. And this is the source of our hope. This is why we pray for our children. This is why we pray for our grandchildren. This is why we pray for family members and friends and loved ones who today seem very far from God. As our kids grow older, we discover over and over again how little control we have over them. And we can't make their obedience, we can't command their obedience because we cannot compel their hearts. But we can pray and cry out to God, O Lord, open the eyes of their heart. Help them see the light of truth. When Eugene Peterson translated the last part of this passage for the, the message version, he concluded it with a kind of a unique sentence. He said, at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Now, it seems to me there are two radically different ways of looking at things. Either the world is at the center and Jesus is at the periphery, or Jesus is at the center, center of life and the world is way off on the edges. Now, so many Christ followers have bought into the notion that this world is all that matters. They've pushed Jesus to the edge. But when he comes to the center, the world is seen for what it really is, something on the edges. And once the eyes of your heart are open, the light of God's truth will come flooding in, and you'll never look at anything the same way again. Now, sometimes I think we worry too much about the symptoms without dealing with the root issues of life. We ought to be praying, open the eyes of their heart, Lord, because when that happens, life radically changes. They're going to grab their helmet and get in the ball game for the Lord. They'll go to the huddle and they say, you call the play, Lord. I'm ready to do whatever you say. And third, let's look at the result of this. It says that you may know. Now, as Paul prays, he has three things specifically in mind that will result from the eyes of the heart being opened. One is that they will know all that God has given. Verse 18 says, the hope to which he has called you. I mean, this look looks back to the moment of conversion. In verses 3 through 14, go back and read those because it talks about these elements of hope. Verse 3, blessed with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, chosen in Christ. Verse 5, predestined to be adopted as sons. Verse 6, recipients of his grace. Uh, Verse 7, redeemed through his blood. Verse 7, also forgiveness of sins. Verse 8, wisdom and understanding. Verses 9 and 10, God's plan made known to us. Verse 11, chosen and predestined. Verse 13, included in Christ. Also in verse 13, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And in verse 14, given the earnest of the Spirit. You see, friends, all of that is ours. It's the permanent possession of every child of God. I and mean, we're, we're just blessed beyond measure. Paul prays that we might understand how rich we really are. But second, he's also praying that they all know that, that God has promised. In also part of verse 18, that we'll know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This looks ahead to the end of time when we're going to see the Lord face to face and receive all that he's promised. And, you know, it, it's really beyond our capacity to describe the glory of that moment. If you're like me, sometimes you wonder what heaven will be like. Well, I think it'll be everything we dreamed of and (laughs) nothing like we imagined. I mean, going to heaven is not so much going to a place as it's going to a person. 
If I've been on a trip, I may say, I can't wait to get home again, but I'm not talking about the literal bricks and carpet. It's not like I <clears throat> I walk in and I say, hello, drapes. I'm glad to see you again. Hi there, dining room. I miss sitting in those chairs. Now, you probably think something's wrong with me if I talk like that. Now, home is precious because of the people I love who live there. When I say I can't wait to go home, I mean I can't wait to see my family again. It's the same way with heaven. The glory of heaven is not the streets of gold or the gate of pearl or even the river of life or the angels. The glory of heaven is Jesus. Heaven is wherever Jesus is, and when we finally get to where Jesus is, we will be home for all eternity. And third, uh, he's praying that the will uh, that they will all know that that God has provided. Verse 19 says, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, there are four different Greek words for power here. Uh, Paul uses the word from which we get dynamite. In the Greek, it's dynamis. Uh, the word, we also get the word energy. and But he uses a word here that means muscular strength and another that means courageous power. You see, God's power is sufficient for all we need. Now, often we're, we're gripped by fear inadequacy, insecurity, feeling that we're powerless to change things. The good news is God's power is wrapped up in a person. This is the power that exploded in Jesus when he rose from the dead. And if you know him, you have the greatest power source in the universe living within you. So why should we worry or fear or doubt? I mean, wouldn't you, why, why wouldn't we go out singing? I mean, God has given us all that we need. I mean, there's a lot of encouragement in this passage. Pray, pray, and keep on praying. Pray for each other. You know, husbands, pray for your wives. Wives for your husbands. Pray for the class you teach. Pray for new Christ followers you're discipling. Praying that they will be turned on by the truth of God. I mean, there's so many ways that we can apply this message. First, it's a good guide to praying for our children. I mean, how long do we pray for them and what should we pray for them? Well, the answer is never stop praying for your kids. Paul said, I keep on asking. We can always know God better than we do. And when you pray, ask the Lord to open the eyes of their heart to let light from heaven come flooding in. And second, we should be praying this for ourselves. Oh, Lord, help me to know you better. Open my eyes, Lord. Let your light come flooding into my heart. Help me to know all that you have given, all that you have promised and all that you have provided for me. But then again, what do you do? if you don't know who this Jesus is. Well, if you happen to be listening today and you're really not sure, let me just say this. Reach out and take him by faith. He loves you and he died for you. Receive his gift of eternal life. Open your heart. Crown him as Savior and Lord of your life today. But Lord Jesus, come by your spirit and meet us where we are. Forgive us for hearing the truth so often and never being changed by it. Some of us have kept you at the edge of life for far too long. Open our eyes to see you clearly. Apply the truth individually where it will do the most good. In Jesus' name, amen. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.